Welcome to this message from the teaching ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Orlando, Florida, under the leadership of Senior Pastor Mike Osborne. Well, this morning, we are going to turn our attention to not the Ten Commandments, since that's the series that we've been in, but we're going to look, because it's Vision Sunday, at a whole different theme this morning. And I'd like to get into it this way. Suppose you were talking with a friend who had never attended UPC before, didn't know anything about University Presbyterian Church, and asked you to tell him or her about this church. What would you say? Perhaps you only have five minutes. What would you say? Maybe what you do is tell them a little bit of the history of UPC. Maybe, for example, you would explain that University Presbyterian began in 1991 when a young pastor named Mark Bates and his wife, Tricia, moved out here from Maitland, where Mark was on staff at Orangewood Presbyterian Church, and they planted UPC. First building over there, they rented space in the Seventh-day Adventist Church on University Boulevard. And uh, some of you were there. We're, we had about 10, I don't know, so or so this morning at the early service. If you were part of that early day, maybe 1991 to 95 or so, stand up and let's look at you. Those of you who were here at the very beginning. Wow, good number. Good number. Good. So um, you might talk about the fact that our first worship service was on September 15th, 21 years ago yesterday. So we're at our 21-year mark that we're observing today. Or maybe you would tell your friend about our buildings, our facilities. That's kind of an an obvious thing you could talk about. You could tell them that uh, we moved into that building over there, the education building, in 1997. And uh, then we were able to purchase about 26 acres of land on this part of uh, East Orange County and um, moved into this building in 2004. Or maybe you would tell them about our programs. That's something people are interested in. You might talk about our children's programs, our Sunday school activities, VBS, uh, our youth programs and our youth ministry. Maybe some of the things we're doing now for outreach, like we're having on Monday nights free ESL classes that have been going like gangbusters. We're reaching out to Bithlow. Uh, We have wonderful life groups and things like that. These are some of the things you might tell your friend about. And all of those things would be really, really good things. But, but somewhere in that conversation, I hope what you would talk about with your friend is the UPC dream. Now, that's a term I'm going to coin this morning to try to explain what it is that UPC is really all about. Um, because there's a difference between what we do and who we really, really are at a core DNA level. And some of you to whom I'm speaking this morning are very new to to UPC and don't know really who we are. And it's not a bad thing for all of us, even those of you who stood up a little bit ago. It's not a bad thing for us to review who are we really? What was the UPC dream in the very beginning that gave birth to this church? You know, normally on Vision Sunday, I give you a lot of information. Maybe too much. Maybe it's information overload. We pull out diagrams and charts and talk about our plans for the future and things like that. But today I thought we would do something a little bit different. You need to know all that stuff. You do. And, 
And yet we can put it into a letter. In fact, you're going to get a letter uh, that will explain sort of some of the things that we anticipate doing in the year ahead of us. But it's so much that I'd really rather boil it down to kind of the essence this morning of who are we? What's the UPC dream? The dream that gave birth to UPC in 1991 and that keeps us on track even today. Because sometimes the best way to go forward is to go back. To go back and remember what are those foundational principles that make us who we are, those things that we live for, and those things that we would even die for. That's the UPC dream. And that's what I want to talk about with you this morning. So if you would turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2, this will become our, our anchor text this morning. 1 Peter 2, if you do not have a Bible, uh, turn, uh, fa- you know, turn up, um, reach is the word, reach is the word I'm reaching for, for a Bible underneath a chair, pull out one of those hardback Bibles, it's on page 1201, way back in the back, page 1201. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. Hear God's word. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. The word of the Lord. When Susie and I came to this church in 2001, we were hurting. We were hurting. We had been in a difficult church situation prior to coming to Orlando. And I was, to be honest with you, burned out on this church thing. I wasn't so sure that I wanted to be a pastor anymore. And so we were looking for a place to recover. A place to hopefully feel the refreshing winds of God's grace. And we did. When we walked through the doors, limping as it were, spiritually, we began to feel the wind of hope begin to revive. And we have felt it ever since. Now, I realize that some of you in the room today would not say that about your experience at UPC. We're not a perfect church. Far from it. We have made and will continue to make mistakes. There have been times when we have failed to love people well. To our shame, I think we should admit that there have been times when we've been more interested in our own comfort and our own situation than the comfort and the situations of people around us. Nevertheless, all in all, I and many of you and the people that you heard on the video have experienced here at UPC something very, very special. And I think it has to do entirely with the dream that gave it birth, and that has kept us going ever since. I will summarize this UPC dream today with three words that start with the letter G so that you can remember it better. I want to ask you to write these things down because these are really, 
If I, I mean, if I ever have an opportunity to reacquaint us with what we are all about, these are the kind of ideas that I would express to you. Three things that summarize the UPC dream, and the first one is that it has always been our dream from day one to be a gospel-centered church. It's always been UPC's dream to be a gospel-centered church. What does that mean? Well, look at the end of verse 9. And I'll ask you to keep your Bible open because we're going to visit this text again and again. Verse 9 at the very end of the verse says that God has called us out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Now that is the gospel. You want to know what the gospel is? That's it. That's the good news. That God has called you and me out of darkness the darkness we used to be in. And he's brought us into his wonderful, wonderful light. We who were once far away from God have been brought near him through the gospel, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We who were once God's enemies have been reconciled to him and have been made his friends by the gospel. We who once, as this text says, walked in darkness, now walk in the sunshine and the smile of the face of our God who has redeemed us. Why? Why did he redeem us? He did it because Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in him. Or another way of putting the gospel, it's at the the end of chapter 2. Peter himself beautifully expresses the gospel when he says, he himself, that is Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree so that we might die to sins And live to righteousness, by his wounds we have been healed. And if you're in Christ today, you know exactly what that means. Friends, our dream as a church is to be so taken by that gospel, so captured by its wonder, so preoccupied by its theme, that two things will follow. One, we will preach that gospel to ourselves every day, And two, we will proclaim it and demonstrate it to people around us, to everybody we can every day. That's what gospel-centeredness will result in. First, we will preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Why? Because we need it every day. That's why. Do you know that many Christians, and I, I don't know if you have felt this way sometimes in your life. I don't know if you've talked to others who feel this way. But so many Christians today think deep down, that the gospel is really just for non-Christians. You know, that the gospel is to bring you through the door of God's love, but then once you're in the room of God's love, it's up to you to stay in that love. It's up to you by work and serving and obeying and praying and reading and so on like that. And if you begin to stop doing those things, then God's favor begins to diminish on you. Some of us carry this idea around with us all the time. It's like the gospel is simply the ABCs of the Christian life. And then you grow up, you know, and you move into bigger and better things, according to a lot of people. But I hope you found out, and I hope UPC will continue to teach, that the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity. It is the A to Z of Christianity. We who are believers in Christ need the gospel as much as non-Christians do. Because as Paul says in Romans chapter 1, the gospel is the power of God 
unto salvation for everyone who believes, including those who are already in Christ. You know, the whole book of Galatians, which we're not going to look at, but the whole book of Galatians was written because there was a group of people known as the Galatians who tended to think that once you're saved, it's not about the good news anymore. Instead, it's about being good and doing good and working hard and obeying the commandments and so forth. Listen, it is the gospel, the gospel that God loves you no matter what, the gospel that God loves you through Jesus Christ because you're in him, not because of what you do. It's that gospel that transforms you and changes you from the inside out and converts you into a person who wants to do good and wants to obey and wants to serve and wants to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Many of you uh, know this quotation from Martin Luther's commentary to the Galatians, on on the Galatians. Uh, This is language that we've used here at UPC a good bit, and I want to read it for you and review it with you. He wrote as follows, Here I must take counsel of the gospel. I must hearken to the gospel which teaches me not what I ought to do, for that's the proper office of the law, but what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me, to wit, that he suffered and died to deliver me from sin and death. The gospel wills me to receive this and to believe this. And this is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all godliness consists. Now look at this. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. Typical Martin Luther fashion. That means my job is to beat the gospel into your heads every Sunday. It's your job to beat it into my head. It's our job to beat the good news of Christ into each other's heads. Parents, into your children. Children, you've got to beat it into your parents' heads, believe it or not. We all need the gospel because we tend to forget it. We're like that guy in the movie Memento. He has a poor memory, always needs reminders, needs messages, needs to look at what is true. And you and I are in that same situation. But the other thing, you remember I said two things happen when you get gospel-centered. The other thing that happens when you become gospel-centered is that you will proclaim this gospel, and you will demonstrate this gospel to everyone you can every day. Why? Why should we? Because they need it too. They need the gospel too. Isn't the world in chaos right now? Just since last Sunday, since we were together, all the junk that has happened in the world, isn't it crazy? What does this world need? They need the gospel. That's really the ultimate need of this planet is the gospel of Christ. Now, notice notice what I said. It's real important to hear the words that we are to proclaim and demonstrate the good news. Tell it and show it. Look at the text. Verse 9, declare. See, that's proclamation. Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And verse 12 Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. That's demonstration. Now, in a big group like UPC, some of us are going to be better at verse 9 than we are at verse 12. 
What I mean is that some of us are better at declaring the gospel than we are at demonstrating the gospel. And others of us, probably the bigger group, are better at verse 12 than verse 9. We are better at demonstrating the gospel, showing the gospel by our deeds than by proclaiming it with words. But the point is, together, if we will engage this mission that God's given us together of the gospel, being gospel-centered, together we give the gospel to this world by word and by deed to everyone we can while we can. Our mission, you remember it, right? When you leave this room, everybody has to check the wall and remind ourselves of our mission being to make disciples of all nations. And what that means is as we are going to work, to school, in the neighborhood, to the grocery store, as we are going with our prayers, with our money, with our words as well as with our deeds, we are to be making disciples by being gospel-centered, by being oriented around the gospel, preaching it first to yourself and then telling it and showing it to as many people as you possibly can. That's the part of the UPC dream, to be gospel-centered, to be on mission for the one who has called us out of darkness and brought us into his wonderful light. That brings me to the second G word. How are we going to do that? How are we going to be faithful at being gospel preachers to ourselves as well as to others? The second G word is grace motivated. Grace motivated will help us be gospel centered. Now, what does it mean to be grace motivated? We'll look at verse nine again. Verse nine begins this way. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God. So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Do you notice the order? That the apostle Peter first says who you are in Christ. And then he says, now because that's who you really are, here's what God is asking you to do. And the more you know who you are by God's grace, the more you swim around in the truth of what God has done for you and in you in Christ, the more that will be the power for you to live out the gospel, first by telling it to yourself and then by showing it to other people. We often use in this church the following statement that the indicative always precedes the imperative. For those of you that are a little unfamiliar with that, the indicative, you see the word indicate in there? An indicative statement is something that indicates the truth about you. And the indicative in the Bible always precedes the imperative. Now, I don't know about you, but I always seem to want to reverse that order. I always seem to gravitate toward the idea that you do in order to be. And that's not what Peter says. He says, you are, so therefore do. But I think many times, I catch myself thinking, if I do A, B, or C, then God will love me. Then I'll feel good about myself. Then others will approve of me. Examples, if I preach a good sermon, if I 
Don't say dumb things to people. If I give good counsel, you know, to someone who comes to speak with me or something like that, if I do those things, then God, you know, God approves of me. Um, he is proud of me and everything is right with the world. But you know what that is? That is living by a works righteousness. That is trying to earn God's favor. And we know that's contrary to the gospel. That's a works righteousness. It, it, it's trying to build my security, my joy, my sense that all is well upon my performance instead of upon what God has done for me in Christ. The other day, uh, as an example of how I do this so naturally, I earned a little bit of works righteousness. We were having some guests in the home this weekend and Susie, my wife, asked me if I'd go upstairs and clean the upstairs bathroom. When I entered into this marriage, one of the <laughs> understandings that I thought the pastor asked us was, Mike, do you promise to never do cleaning of bathrooms? And I thought I said yes, but anyway, she asked me to clean the upstairs bathroom, and so I did. You know, bold me. I, I went upstairs, I got the sponge, I got all those th different things, and I really did clean the bathroom. I think I did a pretty good job. And I started feeling like I had clean bathroom righteousness. And do you know how long that lasted? About 20 minutes because I started feeling very proud of myself. And then I thought, well, I know that that's a sin, so I probably should not feel proud of having clean bathroom righteousness. That's the problem, you see, with works righteousness. It's always going up and down based upon your performance. And it always results in one of two things, either in my case, pride, or in the other case, despair. Pride because you've done it well, whatever it is. Despair if you really realize that you didn't do so well. And then you have to do something else to make up for the despair. That's not the way grace righteousness works. Because grace righteousness is not based upon your performance. It's based upon God's performance on your behalf. And grace righteousness always results in a joyful self-forgetfulness. Isn't that freedom, folks? When you are joyfully self-forgetful, you don't even enter into the equation because you're so secure in the love of God that you're not worried about failure, not worried uh, that God or others won't approve of you. You are so rock-solid secure because you know that even when you blow it, even when you sin, God is still your daddy, Abba, Father, and He still smiles upon you because of Jesus. See, grace righteousness is totally different and it results in this crazy kind of peace that the world knows nothing of. By the way, it struck me, isn't it kind of cool that it's Peter that wrote these words? You're a chosen nation. I mean a chosen people. You're a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. Isn't it cool that it's Peter who wrote those words? Because you remember it was Peter who denied the Lord Jesus three times. It was Peter who kept putting his foot in his mouth. It was Peter who kept failing and had to be restored by Jesus after the resurrection. And yet it is Peter in verse 11 calling us to war. You see what he says in verse 11? Abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. How could Peter, this broken man, 
call us to war? And how could he engage the sinful nature so boldly? It was because his heart had been strangely warmed by God's grace. Once, he says in verse 10, you were not a people. And now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Peter was motivated by grace. Just as grace has always been the gasoline that we keep having to fill our tanks here at UPC with. That's the way it should be. To be grace motivated. May it always be so. Now for our final G word. It's always been UPC's dream to be gospel-centered and grace-motivated. And the third one is God-astonished. Here at UPC, since the days that Mark and those planted this church and through the years, through the ups and downs and the processes that we've been through, it has been part of our dream to be God-astonished. To be so changed by the gospel of grace, that we are astonished when we walk into this room Sunday after Sunday and when we go out on Monday to our workplaces and to our schools and into our neighborhoods and into our stores and so on, astonished that this God we worship, this holy, perfect, pure, sovereign, exalted, supreme God, who needs no one and no thing, chose us for His own people. Astonished that this God would receive us into His family and stay with us through thick and thin and welcome us into His arms when we one day go to be with Him. This God has chosen us to be His people. Isn't that astonishing? And it's astounding that He would choose to use us in His mission of redeeming a lost world. Isn't that wild? How astonishing is that? Well, I can give you a story. Um, last, Okay, over the summer, I just felt impressed by God to join up with several others of you in the room, as well as a few others at Christ Kingdom Church, our sister church, and put on a after-school program in Bithlow at the Orange County Academy. It's a Christian school that has started up out in Bithlow. If you don't know Bithlow, it's an impoverished community, many, many, many needs. And our church last year helped start an after-school program out there. So over the summer, I just felt very impressed that I should be a part of that. So I'm a part of this little team that goes out there from 3 to about 6 o'clock on Wednesday afternoons. And so we've done it now two weeks And I'm telling you, it is such a treat. But it is also very sad and eye-opening. Last Wednesday afternoon, I was sitting with my little group of four through sixth graders. And I noticed that the little boy next to me, I'll call him Charlie. That's not his real name. But Charlie began to get more and more upset as the afternoon progressed. He began to to, uh, cry. And I just asked Charlie, Charlie, what's wrong? What's going on? And he said, how uh, many, uh, when does the VIP club end? And I said, about 5.30. And he said, could it go on longer? And I said, well, no, you, you have to go home at 5.30. And 
he said, I don't want to go home. And I said, Charlie, what's going on? Why? And he said, today I had ISS in school suspension. And he said, last time that happened, my daddy did this. And he pointed to his cheek and he had a bruise on his cheek. And so Charlie didn't want to go home because his dad was going to hit him. And he was sure of it. There was no talking him out of it. A story was shared after our little debrief time about uh, another little girl there who's been sexually abused by her father. I mean, that's common there. That's the story of these 40, 50 kids. Friends, we get, and I chose that word on purpose, we get. We don't, it's not that we have to. We get to proclaim and demonstrate good news to broken people like Charlie. We get to do that. Isn't that astounding? We get to take people to living water. We get to teach the Bible to people. We get to send money to other nations so they can hear about Jesus. We get to plant churches. You know, it's not that we have to do it or should do it. It's we get to do it. That's what's so astounding about being God's people. We get to turn our schools and our workplaces into mission outposts. We get to help broken marriages heal. We get to equip parents to know how to rear their children. What more fun could there be than that? We get to do all that stuff. Isn't it astonishing? Well, that is the UPC dream, to be gospel-centered, grace-motivated, and God-astonished. Now, earlier today I said that I wanted to be light on information and bigger on DNA, who are we, identity kind of stuff. But I do want to leave you with a goal. I do want to give us a challenge before we leave the room today. As you know, over the past year or so, we've been making some real concerted effort to turn the arrows out, to move from being an attractional church that says it's all about what happens in here, y'all come, you know, to moving out of here and taking church out there. So becoming missional. That's what we've been trying to do a lot this past year. We're trying to proclaim the gospel, demonstrate the gospel, equip people to do that and meet some needs and send people out to make a difference. So in the last few weeks... Leadership has identified six things that we want to put before the church and say that if we could do these six things this year, wouldn't it be awesome? And we'll do more, but these are six faith goals that are going to require some money, and I'll get to that in a moment. First thing is, if you've noticed the playground equipment looking pretty bad you're not imagining things. It looks pretty bad. It looks pretty unsafe even. What if we were to invest in a new bit of playground equipment, a new jungle gym out there that would not only meet needs here within our church family, but would also send a message to this community that says this is a safe, happy, fun place for you to bring children so that we can equip them, train them, help these parents 
to lead their households. So playground equipment is one thing we really are looking at at needing. Second thing is Bithlo that I was talking about a few moments ago. What if, friends, what if we here at UPC were to make a sizable donation to the Orange County Academy that I was talking about a moment ago? They are trying to double their square footage. And if they can do that, they would be able to minister to more at-risk children in Bithlow. If we could send them a, uh, a bunch of money, it would really, really help them to be able to expand their school. Third thing is missions. Missions. We want to send more of you, short-term and long-term, into other nations of the world. We also want to make it possible for more of you to go on mission trips. One of the, hin- the uh, hindrances is money. So wouldn't it be cool if we had a pot of money that was just sitting there giving scholarship help to people who wanted to go in mission? And one more thing, wouldn't it be neat if we were to adopt an unreached people group? Every week we pray for one of these groups that's scattered throughout the world. Today it was that group in India. What if we could adopt an impoverished, unreached people group that's somewhat accessible to us, say Mexico, Haiti, somewhere nearby where we could send a mission team every now and then where we could actually take part in giving gospel resources to these people. That would be really, really fun, but it requires some funding. Fourthly, we've been talking about this worship center, making some kind of aesthetic improvements that would help us engage more people in this culture into God-centered worship. Uh, Some decor, some art, some... uh, different kind of lighting perhaps. I mean, there's lots of things we could talk about, but worship center, that's going to require some some money as well. Fifth, now this one you've probably never heard of before, but this is really, really, really fun. We've been talking about our partnership with the Florida Church Planting Network. We belong to that network, and we're helping churches get started. For example, John Gullett is here this morning. He and some of you are interested in the Lake Nona church plant. John's going to be pastoring that church, and we want to be behind that and support that. That's what the Florida Church Planting Network does. What if, in partnership with that network, we were able to bring on staff for two to three years a church planting apprentice? The deal is that we would only have to pay a third of his salary. He would raise a third, and the network would pay a third. But he could help us full-time do evangelism. And in two or three years, he'd go off and plant a church. And what if he were Latino and could really connect with this community as Hispanic community and we could be a part of helping a Hispanic church get off the ground? That's just speculation. I don't know if that's the Holy Spirit speaking, but um, that's what we are anticipating trying to do. And then sixth and finally, there's the matter of the mortgage on this building. We would love to pay, you know, a little bit of an extra payment to help bring the debt on this building down a little bit from what it is now, which is about $2.1 million. So here's the plan. We want to call it March Madness. March Madness. March is uh, six and a half months away, six months away. And March has five Sundays, 31 days. What if between now, today, Vision Sunday, and March 31st, each of our households were to do whatever possible to do some more extra giving over and above your regular tithe. If we were to split it up by household, that would be about five to $600 per household, which for some of you, that's impossible. 
Um, maybe you think that's way too ambitious. Others of you think that's not much at all. I can give more so that others who can't give can give less. But if all of our households were to do everything we can by prayer and by faith, kids, you can have a lemonade stand by the side of the street. Uh, some of you could work an extra job now and then. I could ask my wife to work a few extra days at the hospital. Um, yeah. Uh, some of you could forego a major purchase. Uh, some of you could do something different with Christmas this year. In other words, there are a lot of options. But if we could raise $200,000, it would allow us, next slide, to buy that new playground equipment. It cost about 30000 And to give a gift to the Orange County Academy and to do something about an unreached people group and to s- something in here in this room to bring this church planning apprentice on staff and to reduce our debt a little bit. Now, that is doable, guys. It is doable. It's a sh- Some of these are short-term wins, and that's what we're after here. So I would like you to think seriously, talk about with your family and your life group and your friends. Let's see if we can raise up to $200,000. Maybe God wants to give us even more than that. Who knows? But if he does, we will do much more with each of these six beautiful things. You may be, as you look at that list, you may be interested in one of them. Maybe one of them really makes your heart pound. Then designate your gift to that. Like, wow, I would really love to see us have new playground equipment. I'll give my extra 25 bucks to that. Or you can just give to March Madness. Put that on your check, and it'll go to one or more of these things as the, the amounts vary. The point is I'd like to ask you to be creative and see what you can do so that you and I together at UPC can go forward in mission. Does that make sense? The, what is the UPC dream? To be gospel-centered. What's the next one? Grace-motivated and God-astonished. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you have done at UPC over these 21 years. I'm personally humbled, and I know we all feel so grateful that we are part of a church that teaches and preaches the Bible, that cares about its community, and that fails often and sometimes really big, and yet knows that you love broken, failing people. We ask you to continue to use us, Lord, in your mission of redeeming a lost world and creating a new humanity. Would you please, Holy Spirit of God, help us to stay gospel-centered, grace-motivated, and God-astonished. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We at University Presbyterian Church thank you for listening to this message. Our mission is to help people know God, grow together, and serve others. To learn more about the church or how to have a vital relationship with God, visit our website at www.upc-orlando.com or call our offices at 407-384-384. 3300.